Season 1, Episode 3, Homemaking Lessons from the 1930s. This is the Modern Homemaker Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camps, and you are welcome to join me as I discuss all things home, from cooking to decorating and everything in between. So pop the kettle on, let's get started. Hello, Modern Homemakers, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode. It is great to have you here. Like me, you're probably still in self-isolation, still with no end in sight, still kind of wondering what's around the corner. And I must admit, this has been the first week where I have started to struggle with it a little bit. I think up until now, I'd been... I don't want to say enjoying it because that feels like I'm kind of undermining the seriousness of the situation, but I am quite a homebody, so it it hasn't been the biggest challenge to stay home so much. But I do think over the last few days, over the last week, I really started to get hit with that kind of cabin fever and waking up each morning and knowing that this day is going to be exactly the same as the day before, which was exactly the same as the day before. Um, It's kind of mentally taxing, isn't it? And I've started to find myself almost feeling quite fatigued by by all of it. Um, And, you know, finding myself quite sluggish at times. But I followed my own advice uh, from last week. And that was, you know, when... When I'm feeling that way, when I'm feeling sluggish, to just kind of accept that that's the way it's going to be today, and you know, not try and push myself or make my feel make myself feel guilty for you know what I'm not doing, and just going with it. And then I, it tends to be that then if I if I do that, I wake up the next morning feeling a little bit more productive. And talking of being productive, I made good on my plans to make a Saturday night fake away. Um, If you remember, I mentioned last week that um, our our household income has taken a little bit of a hit through through the pandemic. So we decided that one of the things we would cut back is uh, ordering in on a Saturday night. So my plan is to um, kind of fake takeouts. Um, And I made enchiladas, like I said, and (laughs) it was a bit of a disaster. The final result was good. So no regrets. The final result was really, really nice. Um, however, I decided I was going to make my own tortillas because I thought in for a penny, in for a pound, let's do it. I'd read online that, you know, once you make your own tortilla, you'll never buy shop again. And the recipe looked so simple. So I thought I am, I'm going to try my hand at making homemade tortillas so that every element of these enchiladas will be homemade because I made the sauce and everything as well from this recipe online. And Oh my god, my takeaway is never try to make tortillas. It was a complete disaster. Um, I feel like maybe the recipe, I mean, I'm blaming the recipe here, but maybe the recipe didn't have enough fat content. Um, For one cup of flour, there was one teaspoon of shortening, which I thought at the time didn't seem that much. And then the tortillas... I managed to make something that vaguely resembled a tortilla, but um, they were really brittle, so you couldn't actually roll them into an enchilada. Um, And I wonder if that's to do with the fat content. Um, And in fact, I did see a comment on the recipe afterwards saying like, I tripled the amount of shortening in this and la 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 la. So I ended up 
there's an, a grocery store at the end of our street, so I thought to myself, right, screw this, I'm gonna nip out and just grab some short-bought tortillas because by this point I'd already made the filling and the sauce um, and I was ready to go on everything bar the tortillas. So I, you know, I put on my, my mask and my plastic disposable gloves and out I go. And then of course the grocery store at the end of the street didn't have any tortillas. So then I walk five minutes down the road to the nearest shoppers to get tortillas. And of course the queue is around the corner because they're only letting people, you know, a few people in at a time at the moment. So I go to the supermarket a little bit further down the street, same thing. Go to the 7-Eleven, there's no queue, but there's no tortillas either. In the end, I just queued up at the supermarket. But basically I started making these enchiladas at 5.30. We sat down to eat them at about 8.30. <laughs> um, but however, once I managed to get my hands on the shop-bought tortillas, the enchiladas were so good. The sauce was amazing um, and in fact I will let you know where the recipe was from because I highly recommend it. The recipe was from a website called Gimme Some Oven and it's the recipe is called Best Enchiladas Ever and that recipe links to also her recipe for homemade enchilada sauce um, which I think you know don't skip on homemaking the sauce it was so easy and so worth it. The sauce made it, it was amazing. Um, the only thing I might change next time is I just kind of diced the uh, diced chicken breasts for the filling. But I think next time I might um, shred them, like do shredded chicken. I think that might just make it even more amazing because it was amazing. Next Saturday, as in this Saturday coming, I'm, I think I'm gonna try my hand at wings. I wonder if I can pull off wings at home that taste as good as wings you could get in a restaurant. I don't know. Dave is a big wings fan, so he is skeptical, but I like a challenge. So maybe I'll prove him wrong and I'll let you know how that goes. Also over the past week, uh, we've had some holidays. It's been Passover and Easter. Obviously those things have all looked very different this year. Um, we had some virtual seders for Passover. Uh, Dave's Jewish. And then on Easter, obviously that was very quiet as well, but I still made a nice Easter lunch. Uh, I made some a roast chicken and did a little Easter egg hunt for Dave because you've got to entertain yourself in quarantine somehow. <laughs> and on making a roast dinner, that was actually one of my um, New Year's resolutions was to make roast dinners more often because obviously I am British and a very strong British tradition is to have a Sunday roast every week and certainly growing up I I had a Sunday roast every single week my nan would cook a huge roast and the whole family aunties uncles cousins would all get together every Sunday and have a roast and oh my gosh she made the best roasts in the world what I wouldn't give to taste her roast potatoes one more time um, and even if we couldn't make it to my nan's that week you know my mum would make a roast you know you didn't go without a roast on Sunday <laughs> And so I decided for my New Year's resolution that while, you know, I don't necessarily think I want to be making a roast every single week, that it is a tradition that I kind of want to keep going, even though I don't live in the UK anymore. You know, especially as, as you know, I'm building a home and a family with Dave, that's something that I feel, you know, as a British person is an important part of family life, is a nice lunch or dinner on a Sunday, a nice roast lunch. So, like I said, my New Year's resolution was to do a roast once every two months. 
And this New Year's resolution came about because I did a Christmas lunch um, on Christmas Day. I did a roast turkey. And, I, you know, it was fine. It was a really, really nice lunch. It went well. But I found it all very stressful and hard to coordinate. And, you know, I was really like I was <laughs> the weeks leading up to it, I was planning it. And I even wrote a little flowchart timesheet to like, you know, make sure I hit all my targets and nothing, none of the timing goes off and it's all going to come together at the same time. And actually, I just kind of realized that, you know, probably if I do this more often, I won't need that level of stress, like it'll, it'll become second nature. So I decided, like I said, to make a roast once every other month, at least. And so far, I have stuck to it. I did uh, roast pork, I guess a couple of months ago. And yeah, I did roast chicken today. And I really feel like it is happening. I really feel like I'm far less stressed. I'm able to just kind of do things one at a time and it all comes together. And I think the main thing to remember is that actually timing isn't that critical. You know, so what if your roast potatoes are, you know, looking a bit done before, you know, the other vegetables are done? take them out of the oven for a bit. Like it's, you don't have to be quite so kind of regimented and on top of everything. It doesn't have to be so perfect to still be an amazing meal. Uh, on the subject of roast potatoes, do just let me impart to you my secret weapon with roast potatoes, and that is duck fat. Cook those bad boys in duck fat and they will be the best roast potatoes you have ever tasted. I am so happy with how my roast potatoes work this time. I... First off, I parboil them. So I cut them up and then I boil them for about 11 to 12 minutes, just so they've started to soften. Then I put them in duck fat in the oven um, and then cook them for roughly about 45, 50 minutes, salted, and they're just like fluffy pillows of heaven. Um, I really like fluffy roast potatoes rather than like those really crispy ones. So that's my secret weapon. That's my takeaway for you today. Oh, and one more thing to mention before I get started. Um, I mentioned last week that I had been being less wasteful with ingredients by, you know, making sure I use things up. And I mentioned that I used some overripe strawberries to make strawberry bread. And a reader asked if I could share the recipe for that. Um, and I would love to because it is such a good recipe. It's such a delicious cake that it makes. So do make this if you've got some strawberries lying around that are a little bit past ripe. Um, so the recipe was actually from allrecipes.com and it's just called strawberry bread. And um, just to give you a bit more information about it so you can identify it, it's it was featured in All Recipes magazine um, and it's got four and a half stars for good reason. So with that all being said, let's crack on with today's episode. So with all that being said, time to crack on with today's episode. And as I mentioned last week, I have spent the last couple of weeks reading a course book from a 1930s home economics course. And it was a very interesting read indeed, with a lot of stuff that I think, you know, absolutely would still be very useful today some stuff that I'm kind of thinking, yeah, you stay in the 1930s. The first thing that really stuck out to me was about learning the art, or at least the skill, of mending your clothes and taking care of your clothes. And it's interesting, um, 
that, you know, I read this at this time because over the past couple of weeks, I've really been thinking about my wardrobe and thinking about the fact that, you know, I I don't have loads and loads of clothes, actually. I am, I try to be quite minimalist when it comes to clothing and, and I try to, to only buy things that I really, really like. I would never just buy something because, mm, yeah, it's okay, maybe I'll wear it one day. I If I buy clothes, it's because I really like them and I know I'm going to love wearing them. So I don't have like a huge overflowing wardrobe. But I have been thinking recently about the quality of the clothes I buy. And I've been wondering if maybe it's time to start buying less, but what I do buy to be like a little bit more expensive and a little bit higher quality. Just thinking about, you know, wastefulness, the environment, you know, the human rights implications of where you're getting your clothes from in terms of the supply chain. Although to be fair, it feels like there aren't many places you can buy clothes that are 100% beyond reproach. But yeah, it's something I've been thinking about recently. And then I read this book and they were talking a lot about just that. For example, there was a quote, a few garments well cared for are better than many garments poorly kept. And yeah, that kind of resonates with me actually. Um, and like I said, you know, there's a lot of talking about, you know, if you get a hole in your sock, darn it. If one of your dresses rips at the seam, sew it back together. If a zip comes off, sew it back on. And I know that that is, you know, we don't all have the skills for that. But I do think there's something to be said for learning those, you know, those very kind of basic fundamental skills, you know, sewing on a button, darning a hole. And in fact, I did recently, I had some leggings that got snagged on something and they got a little hole. And I watched a YouTube video and I darned it back up and those leggings are back up and ready to go again. And it saved me money. And, you know, like I said, the environment, you know, the, the idea of, you know, just chucking out a perfectly good pair of leggings when I could have just spent five minutes fixing them. So that's one thing that I definitely think as aspiring homemakers, we could kind of add to our arsenal of skills. And in the same chapter, they were also talking about looking after your shoes and making sure your shoes are well polished and cared for. And that's something that actually comes quite naturally to me because my mum really drilled this into me as a kid. I remember every Sunday, she would get all the shoes out and polish them all uh, on the back porch. And so that's something that has kind of stuck with me. I am quite fastidious about keeping shoes clean and polished. So I think that's another, I think that's another thing. I think it just shows a level of self-respect, a level of care about the way you're presenting yourself. Um, so that's definitely something else that I feel like is still valuable today. Another thing I really liked, and it's very apropos for the moment, is um, the idea of the homemaker being prepared for illness within the family and taking care of sick people and helping sick people to convalesce. The book talks about having a first aid kit in the home. It talks about, you know, if someone in your family is ill, thinking about the best ways to kind of look after them and bring them happiness, whether that's, you know, if you bring them a tray of food in bed, putting a little flower on the tray to cheer them up, and just generally kind of being prepared, having those first aid procedures in mind, the basic ones, having a first aid kit at the ready so that your home can also be a very safe nurturing place as well as, you know, a fun place to be. 
Also, the book talked a lot about the importance of family sitting around the table to have dinner together. And again, that's funny because that was something I mentioned last week, if you remember, um, about how Dave and I are really making an effort during quarantine to sit down to the table and have a nice dinner and almost make an occasion of it every night just to break up the day. And yes, this book put a lot of importance on that and a lot of importance on convening with your family and sharing moments together, sharing food. And one thing I really liked as well is that the book put a lot of emphasis on the decoration of the table. Uh, There was a quote, the appearance of the table has a great psychological effect on the members of the family. All things that help the appearance of the table stimulate the appetite. And I just thought that was really nice. And I love the idea that, you know, even though it's just your family, you haven't got guests over, you know, you're thinking about a centerpiece for your table. I just think that's such a sweet idea. Another quote from the book was, cheerfulness aids digestion. And I just think that's the cutest sentiment ever. I just love that. Um, In fact, I was thinking, I might even want to make that, like do a little cross stitch of that, like cheerfulness aids digestion, and then maybe put some flowers around it or some little cross stitch bits of food or something. I just think that's such a cute idea (laughs) that cheerfulness aids digestion. Um, And the book also talks about how the after-dinner period should be used at the table in the quiet enjoyment of friendly conversation about topics of mutual interest. And again, I just think that's such a nice idea of, you know, making that occasion out of eating, turning it into almost like a family meeting. I just think that's really, really lovely. And on a similar topic, I was really struck by the way the book talked about cooking almost like an art, like it really elevated cooking. And it wasn't just about, you know, making something tasty. It, you know, it was talking about how the homemaker should be really thinking about the balance of foods on the plate. Are there enough different textures to excite the palate? Are there enough different colors on the plate to kind of get your eyes excited about eating? Is there a good balance of the different food groups on the plate? And, you know, have you thought about the ways you can make it as attractive and appealing as possible? And I just, I really like that. I really like the idea of putting that level of thought into your food. Like I said, the color scheme of the food and the textures of the food. And I think that ties in nicely to the idea of making a wonderful occasion out of dinner. And another thing I really liked from the book, and again, quite apropos for for today uh, in our current situation, was the idea of family taking leisure time together. And in particular, one of the suggestions in the book was family nights. And this was the idea that family members take it in turns to arrange a programme of entertainment for the evening. And I just think that sounds so lovely. I mean, you know, for me, my family is two humans and a dog. And I don't know, uh, you know, how well Simba will be able to arrange an evening of entertainment. Um, But I just think, imagine if you had kids as well and you kind of gave them the opportunity like right you're in charge tonight you get to set the agenda for what the family is going to do together tonight I just think that would be like a really empowering and exciting thing opportunity to offer to a child um but even without children I just think that sounds like a really cool idea to you know one member of the family hosts a surprise evening for the other so some of the ideas that are kind of immediately come to my mind 
is maybe like a scavenger hunt where you, you know, give them a clue and they've got to solve it to work out where the next clue is and then they find the next clue and that tells them where the next clue is. Like that would be a really fun idea or some kind of quiz or learning some kind of dance on YouTube, maybe learning a ballroom, a simple ballroom dance routine or some choreographed routine. I just think there are loads of ways you could really have fun with that and surprise uh, surprise your other family members. Um, and like I said, I think especially kind of useful and interesting during the times we're in now because we're all staying in all the time and we're all trying to make the most of the time we have indoors and trying to come up with activities that we can be doing to stimulate ourselves indoors. So I think that could be a really, really good one. Where I started to disagree with the book, and really this can all be summed up in one overarching theme. And that is, there were so many rules back then. There really didn't seem to be room for any kind of self-expression whatsoever. And this extended into, you know, the rules about how you conduct yourself in society, the rules about what you wear, the rules about how you decorate your home. There really seemed to be set very rigid guidelines. For example, I just noted down a couple in, and in, in this is in kind of fashion and clothing. If you're overweight, wear muted colors to not draw attention to yourself. And, and also, a plump person should avoid ruffles and lines running around her dress or skirt. Bitch, <laughs> I'm gonna wear ruffles, whether you like it or not. Like who, like, do you know what I mean? I just, ugh, crazy to me. And, you know, wallpaper should not have large designs. There, you know, so many rules about, you know, what colors you should have in which rooms, and it would be, uncouth to have a chair next to the blah 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 whatever like it it was just it was really like reading this book was almost like this is a blueprint for how your house must be and so you know as much as there is a lot of stuff that I think we can take we can learn from the 1930s I do think we're very fortunate that we've you know we've been able to keep those lessons and keep the pride in homemaking but reject those rules and I think nowadays our homes are much more, they're kind of vehicles for our self-expression. And I think that's a great thing because reading this book, it was, you know, there were some sections that were just rule after rule after rule after rule. And I just thought, yeah, this is, yeah, not for me. <laughs> Thank God those are in the past. So just before I close off, reading this book really got me thinking about, is there a place nowadays for home economics lessons. I think it's been decades since there have been home economics le home economics lessons in schools. Um, I think my mum did it. I know for sure like my grandmothers did it. But yeah, certainly I think it's been a very long time since we've had home, e home economics lessons in schools. And I think perhaps there could still be a place for it actually, with the huge caveat that it would not just be for girls, obviously. Um, and I don't necessarily think that, you know, the curriculums need to be identical, obviously. I do think there are some things that we kind of leave school without really learning. Things like doing your own taxes, things like budgeting for a household, things like rewiring a plug, putting up shelves, hanging pictures. You know, some people might argue that that's 
what parents are for and that's the kind of wisdom and information that your parents should be passing down to you but actually you know unfortunately we don't live in a world where all parents are passing that information down or even where all parents have those skills so I kind of feel like why not in schools deliver that kind of baseline of education so that we can all go out into the world and go out making our own households with that kind of fundamental understanding of the basics you know, I, I get a lot of my friends talking about how they find it really tricky to budget and they're not really sure where to start. Certainly, you know, when it comes to DIY, I have just got no idea whatsoever. I really can only do the very most basic of tasks. And you know what else I think would be really useful to be taught in that kind of lessons would be, you know, what are the steps to buying your own home? As someone in my early 30s, you know, that's something that's on the horizon, you know, unfortunately not on the near horizon, but you know, it's something I, it's on my radar for a few years down the line. And I just have no idea where to start. I have zero clue where to start. I think you do a thing called a pre-approval with the bank but I don't know is that the first step and what even is that like I have no idea so when it actually comes time to making that happen I am gonna have to hit the books and just learn how to do that whole process I don't know what any of the terms mean I don't know what escrow means I do, like I just I am clueless so I do think that you know some kind of basic household management lessons like that could be really useful in schools like I said, for boys and girls, I don't think, you know, there has to be a separation where boys learn how to put up a shelf and girls learn how to bake bread for their husbands. Um, but I just think, you know, some useful life skills could be really, really great. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I cannot wait to speak to you again next time. I hope you have a great week and you stay well. If in the meantime you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is at Miss Lisa Camps, and I will speak to you next time. Bye!